Welcome to The Portable Pastor, a podcast of relevant biblical teaching, linking ancient truth with today's challenges. Each week, Pastor Mike will share God's Word to help you and remind you that God is pro-you. So download the outline from fbcclover.life and get ready to hear today's teaching. Here's Pastor Mike. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Mike Stafford, the Portable Pastor, and I hope that you are ready for another teaching of God's Word. It's a beautiful day here in, in Clover, South Carolina. We've got me some new coffee this morning. It's Butter Toffee Coffee. Dude, I do not recommend it. It is ugh, it's stout, but I'm drinking it because I made it. Well, today we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13, and we're going to talk about a story of Jesus and his dealing with some tax collectors. Before we read that, let me just tell you about a, an often spoken about cultural problem of today, and that is the problem of elitism. Do you know what an elitism is? If you, if you have a biased attitude or belief in in favor of the wealthy and the powerful people, and, and, you, and you regard other people as inferior because of their, their lack of those things, they don't have power, they don't have wealth, then, then you're an elitist. Here's some examples of elitism in, in Hollywood, in movies, all right? So Cinderella, you know, she wasn't allowed to go to the ball because she was inherently unimportant and unwealthy. That's, that's elitism. Eliza Doolittle from My Fair Lady and Vivian Ward from Pretty Woman, they're, they're both looked down upon. They were laughed at by those snobby people at the horse races. Remember those scenes? That's elitism. And Nacho Libre, my favorite character, Nacho Libre, when he was thrown out of that party that was exclusively for the pros and he wasn't a pro, you know, that's, that, that's elitism. Well, in real life, elitism has reared its ugly head in the story or the account of, of, of what happened when, when Florida flew uh, immigrants to Martha's Vineyard. Martha's Vineyard is a, a sanctuary city on a tiny island, and it, it caters to the extremely wealthy who, who pay extra money to shelter themselves from uncomfortable situations and people. And so the Vineyard residents wanted a borderless country, and they never saw that, that they would be you know, affected by this. And so when when people in Florida started flying in these illegal um, immigrants into Martha's Vineyard, their elite society wasn't ready for that. They, they, they weren't to be inhabited by the, by the truly needy. Well, I know that in Jesus' time, he faced elitism too. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes, they, they thought themselves more important and better than others. The, the religious elite would, would never hang out with commoners. Those religious leaders were given authority, and, and they handed down lists of rules to people who were beneath them. They, they thought they should be viewed higher in a higher standing because of their supposed closeness to God. Well, when their elitism, like I said, reared its ugly head at a house party, Jesus had to deal with it. And so this is that story in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. While you're continuing to turn there, let me just, let me just invite you to a, to a meeting. If you're in the Clover area, 
um, I want to invite you to an information meeting about a mission adventure that I'm going to lead this fall where people will fight this type of thinking. I'm leading a trip back to the orphanage in Honduras this coming fall. We're going to go in October, the 7th through the 14th. That's a Saturday through a Saturday. And if, if you're interested in learning about this trip, then I encourage you to come to a meeting March 5th at 5 o'clock in the conference room. Now, if you do go on this trip, you're going to, like I said, you're going to get to practice what we're going to learn today. So let, let's read this passage, and then let's let's just go back and, and pick it apart. Matthew 9, 9 through 13. And Jesus passed on from there. He called a, a man named Matthew sitting in a tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And Jesus reclined at table in the house be, Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining at reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and tell what this means. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. There are two more details in Luke's gospel of this same story. In Luke's account, we read that Levi made a feast in his house so that many of these tax collectors and sinners could come to a meal and meet Jesus. And Luke also recorded that the Pharisees were grumbling when they asked these disciples their question, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Can you see, can you see the elitism in the question of those religious leaders? What, what was the basis for, for their opinions of superiority? It was solely religious authority. If you had it, you were someone. And you were someone that, that could demand to be respected. If you lacked religious authority, you were, you were beneath that class of people. However, there's, there's more to learn from this story than simple humility. Let's look at the pops, you know, the points of the passages, I like to call them, in this story. Well, number one, Jesus called Matthew to himself, and Matthew wasn't ashamed of it. He wasn't ashamed of it. Let's, let's look at verses 9 and 10 again. And Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man called Matthew sitting in a tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Look, Jesus didn't, he didn't ask Matthew to follow his rules or follow his law or follow his commands. He just said, Matthew, follow me. Learn what I have to offer. Now, later on, Jesus would tell Matthew what was required of him. But right then, Jesus just simply said, follow me. In essence, Jesus told Matthew, what, what I'm doing is more important than what you're doing. <laughs> That's what he was saying. This is still how he calls people today. Jesus is still saying to people, I, I see how you're living your life. Follow me. Come hear what I have to offer. I, I promise it will change your life and, and put you on a new course if you'll let it. Jesus is still calling people like this today. He's still calling people to follow him. Just like he called called Matthew. And Matthew did it, by the way. He left his booth. He left his job, his post, and he followed Christ. He took Jesus up on his offer, and that completely changed his life. So much so that he wanted others to follow Jesus too. So he had this big meal prepared 
right? Lots of people in his house. And he, he invited a, a ton of folks to come and eat. And there were a lot of people invited to this dinner. Now remember, according to Luke's gospel, all the disciples were there and a large number of tax collectors and sinners were there as well. That's why I think the gospel writers use that phrase at table. Who described the scene. I thought Matthew just forgot to use the word they, to be honest, but he didn't. They didn't recline at the table. They reclined at table because there was more than just one table. That table meant that, that this was a big house and there were a lot of people there. Everyone had a place at the table. He probably invited everyone that he knew. And that leads me to application number one. Don't be ashamed of knowing and following Jesus. The number of people, especially men, who try and hide their relationship with God is, is just appalling. On Sunday, you know, these guys, they, they, they're up, they got their heads up, their arms out. Victory in Jesus. I don't care who sees me. I love the Lord. And at home, they're reading their Bible and they're taking notes while listening to their Jesus jams. I know, I know in our congregation, there's men at the sink after Sunday lunch, you know, singing that don't forget your free, hey girl. You know, they're, they're singing their Jesus jams. But then on Monday, they're taking a societal chill pill because they have to be cool. And Bible, rele- Bible reading is, is relegated to, to the phone in the corner. Where it happens only in the truck or during the privacy of their lunch break. They laugh uncomfortably at inappropriate jokes. And they, they painfully make fun of people. They don't like it, but they do it. Because they don't want to be found out. So they make fun of people who make moral decisions. And they they don't want to be the one picked on and ostracized. So they hide it. Listen, this is not what God saved us for. We are to be salt and light, preserving the good, illuminating the truth. There, There is no shame in following Christ. How can people act like that? Don't, don't be ashamed of your relationship with Jesus. Don't be ashamed of how he asks you to live. Now, I, I got to move on. Point of the passage number two is the Pharisees were concerned with social classification, but Jesus was concerned with spiritual condition. Look at verses 11 and 12 again. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to Jesus, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Now, in in Luke's gospel, remember, the Pharisees were grumbling about this. They were appalled that such a a promising religious leader was associating with tax collectors and sinners. How can he hang out with such lowlifes? But the the religious elites had it wrong. Now, Jesus was still civil at this point, so so he just simply used the physical condition to analogize the spiritual truth. He alluded to the fact that people who suffer from a sickness need a doctor, not a list of rules to follow. You see, by their thinking, the Pharisees could have walked up to a a man who just lost his legs and and just handed him a brochure on how to keep your shoestrings tied. (laughs) That's basically what, what they were doing. And they would have felt good about that. Their religiosity would have patted them on the back. And what was the point of Jesus' response to them? Look, guys, people are suffering from lostness. He came to seek and save the lost, not tell people to behave. In fact, he knew they couldn't behave. They were trapped in sin. Listen to me. There, There is no escape from the temptation to sin 
apart from the salvation that Jesus offers. It's impossible. In our lost state, we simply do not consistently want to be moral. A rule book does nothing for people who do not want to follow the rules. So the elites were wrong. Social classification had nothing, had nothing to do with right standing before God. Neither did their rules of morality. And that leads me to application number two. We're to focus on the condition of souls. People need to be saved first. They need to be freed from their sins so they can begin to live right. Not until they're freed from their from being stuck in their sin. L- listen to me. It, it's best to address salvation and avoid discussions of spiritual habits, of spiritual moral living, until salvation happens. Because it's, it's an impossibility anyway. I think that's the meaning behind Solomon's writings when he wrote in Proverbs chapter 9, verses 7 through 10. Listen to what he wrote. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man reproves a, mic- a, a wicked man. Sorry, incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he's going to hate you. Reprove a wise man; he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man; he'll be wiser still. Teach a righteous man; he will increase in his learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One. His insight. Jesus repeated what he'd already taught Solomon. If you're dealing with a lost person, deal with the condition of their soul. Now, if you're dealing with a Christian, feel free to hold them accountable for their behavior and invite them to hold you accountable. That's a, a great perk of Christian living. But if you're dealing with a lost person, deal with the condition of their soul. Their soul. Now, let's look at point of the passage number three. And this is that Jesus just Chaps those poor Pharisees again. Look at verse 13. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now Jesus has moved beyond civility. The gloves are off. This was not a simple teaching moment. He said, go and learn. This was a complete slam on the the highly educated, the the overly influential group of men that, that questioned that dared to question the motives and the means of the ministry of Jesus. Jesus was frustrated at this point. So in essence, by responding with with go and learn, he, he says, look, I'm trying to help people. You should leave. Just like uh, Kip told Napoleon, you should leave because your uneducated brain won't allow you to understand what I'm doing. Go and learn. Boom. Jesus lowered the hammer right there. He said, and by the way, and by the way, I I am God in the flesh and I came to save sinners. You see, Jesus quoted Hosea 6.6 right here. Hosea 6.6 says, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. He's equating that truth with, with himself. I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. Now, John MacArthur says about verse 13 in, in Matthew 9 that he's, this is what he writes. The verse Jesus cites is Hosea 6, 6, which emphasizes the absolute priority of the law's moral standards over its ceremonial requirements. The Pharisees needed to focus on the outward ritual and ceremonial aspects of the law to the neglect of the inward eternal and moral precepts. In doing so, they became harsh, judgmental, and self-righteously scornful of others. And I believe that. 
I think that's true, but I can't help but think that Jesus was saying, I am God. I desire. But how does he finish it up? I call sinners. I came to seek sinners, not the righteous. So I think Jesus was saying, I'm God. I'll do whatever I want with whomever I want, whenever I want. You see, the religious leaders of the day, they weren't allowed to, to dictate whom Jesus could minister to and hang out with, and it drove them crazy. Which leads me to application number three. Recognize the authority of Jesus. Just recognize the authority of Jesus. Do you remember back in the day when someone criticized you? We would we would use that comeback. You better recognize. You better recognize who you're talking to. You see, when, when God tells you to do something or not do something, when God tells you to minister to the poor, to hang out with a certain group of people, you better recognize. You would be wise to recognize the authority of Jesus. In fact, failure to recognize the authority of God is to commit mental and spiritual suicide. It is. What did we just read in Proverbs chapter 9? The fear of the Lord, which is respect, recognizing, is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. When you recognize the authority of Jesus, that act of respect, it begins to to, to it, it puts you on a journey to attain knowledge. And not just that, but it tells you how to use that knowledge. Now, I can't camp out right here. I got I to move on to this last point. And this last point is the main point of the passage. Okay, number four, the main point of the entire passage. God prioritizes mercy over religion. Of course, God's going to prioritize mercy over religion. Understand what religion is. Religion is man's attempt to get to God, and it always, always falls short. Religions dupe people into thinking they're going to heaven when in reality they're going to hell. If religion could save people, there'd be no need for Jesus to die, but he came and he did die, which means that religion is insufficient to get you into heaven. Only his merciful death can get you there. It's the only way we can have a relationship with holy God. So, of course, God was going to prioritize mercy over religion. Don't Now, don't be confused by the vast amount of religious laws that God gave Moses, okay? He did. He gave him a bunch of laws, moral laws, for them to live by. But there was a purpose for them. Listen to Galatians 3, verses 23 through 26. Now, before faith came... We were held captive under the law, imprisoned under the coming faith until it could be revealed. Um, Let me start that over. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So the law held us captive. We were captive under the law. He goes on to say, so then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. So it was only there temporarily. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. So what did Christ do? Well, according to Titus 3.5, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. He he saved us in mercy. Now, because we're saved in mercy, we're expected to be merciful with others by telling them the gospel. See, elitists have no mercy. 
You don't hang out with people. You don't share the gospel with them. But we Christians, we are to be people of mercy. It's what God desires us to do. So here's the main application. If that was the main point, here's the main application. Reflect the mercy of God more than the rules of religion. Rules and laws have their place. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. They have their place. They keep civility. They keep us in order. They, they keep us moral. But they're not what cause salvation. They do not cause salvation. It, it, will be, it will be tempting to tell an alcoholic, just don't drink. It'll be natural to tell a, a, a teen, just say no. Just say no to drugs. And, and it will seem like the right thing to do to tell the homosexual that their sin will land them in hell. And, and, and indeed, it, it will land them in hell. But just to only tell them that is not right. We, we intend to tell them these things to help them, but none of those things are going to help them until you share the good news of the salvation that, that God offers them. I mean, listen to me. No, no amount of browbeating, no amount of, of convicting languages, no number of heart-to-heart -heart speeches is about right, right and wrong behaviors with, with a lost person is ever going to please the Lord and is never going to win a lost person to the Lord. He desires mercy, not religion. Therefore, share the mercy of God first. Let me ask you, Christian. After hearing this today, have you been convicted? Or are you ashamed of your faith in Jesus? Do you seek to alter the condition of souls or the behavior of lost people? Do you recognize the authority of Jesus in all things in your life? And when you speak to a lost person about sin, do you, do you reflect the mercy of God more than the rules of religion? Ask the Lord. Christian, ask the Lord to help you to be right in your interactions with the lost. It's of utmost importance. But let me ask you, non-Christian, let me ask you, seeker of truth, why, why won't you trust in the mercy of Christ? What's keeping you from being saved? Is it pride? Is it fear? Is it anger? What is it? Let me ask you, do you want to die with those attributes in your heart, or would you rather die holding on to the salvation of Christ? Look, today's the day of salvation. You're not promised tomorrow. There's no guarantees. The Bible says that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever. And if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we can be saved. Look, I'd love to start an online conversation with you about that. Just simply email me at mike at fbcclover.com. And we can talk about the plan of salvation, God's plan of salvation. Feel free to email me any, about any questions, anything you'd like to talk about, mike at fbcclover.com. i love to start that conversation with you. Before I cut you loose, let me pray for you. Father, I, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that a long time ago, you had your son sit down with a bunch of sinners, a bunch of tax collectors. He wasn't an elitist. He, he brought... Your, your son brought salvation to the least of these, and I am so thankful because I am the least of these. God, I ask that you would save some who heard this today. Help them to submit to your authority and trust in you alone for salvation. God, help us to present that truth, that gospel, more than moral living. Help us to do that too, to hold each other accountable, to present the gospel first. God, I ask that you would 
accomplish this in and through us for your glory alone. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, I hope you have a great week. I hope you have a, a week where the Holy Spirit works through you and you can encourage some others and share your faith and receive the blessings of God. Well, be blessed. Remember, if you're walking with God, He is very much pro you. Thanks for listening to the Portable Pastor Podcast. Pastor Mike serves as pastor at the First Baptist Church in Clover, South Carolina. FBC Clover is a church that focuses on loving God, loving people, and making disciples. For more information about our church and our ministries, or to make an online donation, go to fbcclover.com or email us at fbcclover at gmail.com. Until next time, be blessed. And remember, God is pro-you.